Welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. And now, here's your host, CEO and co-founder of Scouts, Max Hansen. Welcome back to episode 70 of the Built on Purpose podcast brought to you by Scouts. I'm your host, Max Hansen, the CEO of Scouts, where we find purpose aligned and performance proven leaders. Speaking of, today our guest is Vishal Rungta, co-founder, president, and CFO of C3 Industries. C3 Industries is a private MSO with vertically integrated operations in Oregon, Michigan, Missouri, and Massachusetts, and probably more that we'll find out today. I know they've been opening a lot of facilities uh, but we'll get into that just shortly here. Uh, Vishal, welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast. Thanks, Max. Appreciate you having me. All right. I'm going to start with an easy question. Uh, when did you get into the cannabis industry or when did you conceive getting into the cannabis industry for the first time? Yeah. So somewhat, I guess I, I would say complicated answer, although not really. So it depends on how you define that. I mean, I've been in and around the industry in various forms for almost all of my adult life, um, certainly been a consumer for a long time. And so, you know, for both my brother and I, as well as our third co-founder, uh, Joel Ruggiero, who's a childhood friend of mine, we, we grew up skateboarding together. We're all from Western New York. You know, all of us have been around this space and, and really enthusiasts of the product for, for, again, most of our adult lives. So this was kind of a natural evolution. We had been watching the industry mature um, as we pursued our professional careers in other spaces. And so back in probably 2014, 2015, you know, my brother Joel and I really started kind of chatting a little bit on maybe that it was a path, you know, for us to come together and partner up and, and launch our own cannabis business. And so, um, you know, like I said, I think for most of my adult life, you know, dating back to, you know, even when I was, uh, in college and stuff, we had always kind of tracked this industry and, and, and paid attention. And then more recently, probably back to 2015, we were really actively looking at it. We did some early consulting for folks that wanted to get into the space. We looked at application processes in New York, Illinois, California, and we're just kind of getting up to speed on how the industry was evolving, what was going on, what it really entailed. Um, and then in 2017 is when we really kind of pulled the trigger the three of us, you know, more formally banded together, launched C3 and kind of we're off to the races. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll get, a, we'll get a little bit more into that, but uh, it, from what I know and the conversation I had with your brother, it's kind of the dream team and I'm not uh, overstating that. Uh, talk about while we're on the, the topic of when this started, when did Joel start? It's almost like you guys went out and, became investment bankers and lawyers and did all the professional things to build this foundation. And you sent Joel and like, go learn how to grow weed really, really well. While we go put the foundation to our, uh, you know, to our, to our uh, careers in place. But so when did, when did Joel, give me a time frame of like when Joel started uh, on the cultivation side in his career? Sure. Yeah. No, and, and, you know, what I'll say, it's funny is it actually, it's, I wish it was as well thought and planned as that. It was really much more <laughs> happenstance that the three of us came back together and just happened to have such complementary skill sets. So, so yeah, you know, Encore and I were focusing on, uh, you know, he was a corporate attorney and an investment banker. I worked in banking and private equity. And then I worked at Google for a while in, in business strategy. 
meanwhile, back in 2011 or 2010, Joel went out to Colorado um, and he worked his way up at a company called The Green Solution, uh, which is, you know, to this day, one of the few largest players in the Colorado market. Um, and he became the head of cultivation at The Green Solution, oversaw one of their key, you know, scaled facilities, helped with the design and build out of that and then ran it, won multiple cannabis cups while he was out there. So really fine-tuned, uh, you know, his skill set as a very, very talented cultivator in you know, from our point of view, what is kind of the market that kicked off recreational cannabis across the U.S. So it was a really interesting path that he went down. And, and then when we all came back together, it just fit so well together, right? We had the true, you know, kind of green thumb who understood the plant at a very intimate level. We had Encore and I who understood it from a consumer perspective and were very, very acutely aware of kind of the industry dynamics and then brought you know, some of the business and capital raising and legal kind of background. And, and yeah, like you said, from our point of view, we really think that, that the three of us are a, a really strong team and complementary to be going after this space. Awesome. And give us the most update uh, on your footprint. I mean, I've been, I've been following you guys on LinkedIn and just press releases. You guys, it seems like are opening uh, a lot of new uh, locations uh, all the time. So Give us an update on what's going on and what your the most current footprint looks like and what we can expect to see in the uh, near future here. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. So actually, you you know, you did a great job. You nailed it. So we are in uh, Michigan, Massachusetts, Missouri, and Oregon. Um, currently, the footprint is about 250,000 square feet um, of production capacity. Um, and that's primarily indoor. And then we do have one year-round, you know, uh, environmentally controlled, highly sophisticated greenhouse that we're building out in Michigan. Um, so about, you know, quarter million square feet of production, and that includes our labs and manufacturing facilities. Um, and then in addition, we have 21 stores uh, right now that are um, either open. So I think I want to say something like a dozen of those are open and the remainder are opening over the course of the next four or five months. Um, and then we also have another five stores right now that are, uh, you know, kind of on the one yard line. So I would say we expect to be about 25 to 30 stores in the portfolio and then the production footprint. And you had alluded to this uh, in your intro a little bit, but we are actively looking at, you know, additional markets, primarily in the Northeast and, and Midwest um, and looking to kind of get into more like, you know, hopefully state five and six are things we'll, locked out this year. Got it. And so the conversation me and your brother had, he started to talk a little bit about uh, the uh, progress potentially with your Western New York licenses, which I know are exciting for you three, because that's kind of where you grew up. And the idea of this, you know, kind of sparked, uh, what's the latest on the, the progress in, in the Western New York licenses? Yeah. So um, it's definitely like a, a almost a must have for us. It's just a point of pride. You know, the three of us did grow up in Western New York. We would very much like to bring our brands and products, uh, you know, to the state of New York. Um, we are actively in discussions on multiple sites in Western New York right now. And so we are, you know, tying down some real estate and locations that we can use to apply that we think would make for good manufacturing sites. 
Uh, we've also started gearing up some of our local support and, uh, and just, you know, making sure we have the right pieces in place to put forth a really strong application. You know, I think the missing piece, obviously, for everybody in New York is that, you know, there aren't any regulations yet. Um, those are being worked on. And so our hope is that we'll see rules, you know, or at least draft rules in the coming months here. And, and hopefully at some point in 2022, be able to actually, you know, formally apply and then kind of be off to the races from there. And we'll see what exactly, you know, the program looks like and how it evolves, but definitely a state that we want to be in. And, you know, we just believe that there'll be a lot of New Yorkers who'll be excited to have the cloud cover brand, uh, coming to new york awesome and speaking speaking of western new york how heartbroken were you in that with that bills game last week oh man uh, that had to it had to be asked so i actually my family and i live in buffalo uh we have moved back here as of a couple of years ago and buffalo is where the three of us grew up and so uh yeah it was it was tough and i i firsthand experienced the uh the depression that the Bills Mafia went through. Not not that I consider myself Bills Mafia. They are far more diehard than, than <laughs> I would than I'd be able to claim to, but I'm certainly a Bills fan. And that was a wild roller coaster. Although, you know, I gotta say it was it was uh, it was a game for the ages. And so as disappointing as it was, I don't think anyone could take away from how exciting that game was and how much fun it was to watch those two young offenses just going at it. Oh. It was in crazy. That was one of the craziest games ever. I had a small bet on the uh, over at 58 and a half. Like I bought it down a couple of points and I was sweating it thinking they were going to score 58 and a half points. And they ended up scoring like, I don't know, whatever it was, 35 points in the last like four or five minutes. So man, yeah. Exciting game. I've got a good friend uh, that I talked about a little bit when I was uh, on with your brother, he's from Buffalo. He's in Arizona with me. And uh, yeah, it was a, it was a tough loss. Uh, I was pulling for, I'm a Seahawks fan. So I was pulling for the bills. That was going to be my team uh, this year, switching gears a little bit. Um, and I didn't ask your brother this, but I'm, I'm curious as how you guys, you know, kind of answer this and recognize yourself, but how do you guys uh, see your, what do you guys see yourself? How do you see you're different than your MSO competitors? Yeah, sure. No, I'm, I'm glad you asked that. Cause frankly, we have some fairly strong feelings about that. And, and, you know, I'll caveat that by saying, you know, it's with all due respect, right? I think some of our MSO uh, competitors are, are good at certain things. And if they've built, you know, pretty impressive moats and scaled very quickly and built strong orgs. But, um, you know, we view ourselves quite a bit differently. I, I think a lot of the MSO competitors are animals than they are actual, like, knowledgeable cannabis professionals. So I think there's a lack of true industry and product knowledge in many of those organizations, or at least at the leadership level, um, as opposed to, you know, understanding how to raise money and how to like grow quickly. And, and I say that fully understanding that my own background is very similar. I, I come from that world, but the difference is that I grew up smoking weed. I've been around it my entire life. So have both of my partners. It's something I'm very passionate about. It was a huge part of my upbringing. It's a, it's a part of all of my closest and oldest friends. Like that was something that we had in common. Like just the culture of it and the understanding of a cannabis consumer, the understanding of what makes good flour, what it means for a joint to actually hit well, what it means if it 
canoes when you roll it, what that suggests about the product, the cure, the dry. These are attributes that are not, not only not lost on us, but are things that we set out to make sure that we get right, right? So we are, we are really approaching the space from a product first mentality, whereas I think a lot of our MSO competitors are approaching it from a, a scale and licensing first mentality. Um, and don't get me wrong, we, we wanna scale, we wanna be in multiple states, we think we can produce a really high quality product and we can compete. Um, but for us, flour is not a commodity, you know, we don't view it that way. We're not trying to grow million square foot, you know, outdoor facilities and pump out what I will loosely call mids all day. And so like, it's just a different ethos, right? We want to be a premium player in the market and we want to be at a reasonable level of scale, but we're not trying to be the biggest. And we want to do that in multiple markets. I think a lot of our competitors want to be as big as possible and they don't really care as much about the quality or the consumer or the experience. And, and don't get me wrong, they're building brands and they have packaging and everything else, but I just don't think the underlying, you know, care and passion is, is the same. Yeah. 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 What has it been like? So we briefly talked about this before we started recording, or at least what will be uh, put out uh, on the, you know, on our podcast, but I've got a brother that's two years older than me. Um, your brother on uh, course, he's what, two, two or three years older than you? Yeah, he's three years older than me. Three years older than you. So what's it like? I got his perspective. Uh, and if somebody wants to listen to that show, I think it's two or three, uh, two or three back. It might've been episode like 67. Uh, don't quote me on that, but two or three shows back. But what's it like working with your older brother? You know, it's really interesting. Um, I'll tell you, we, uh, we are, <laughs> it's funny because I talk about the complimentary kind of nature between the three of us. And then within that, even for my brother and I, we are very complimentary. Our personalities are very complimentary, right? I, uh, you know, I, I generally focus more on, you know, kind of internally facing our people, our team, our culture, our operations, what kind of data are we looking at, et cetera. My brother is very, uh, and obviously some of this is intentionally how we've structured the company. He's very forward facing, right? What are our new markets? What are our new opportunities? You know, where should we go next? What kind of makes sense? And so, we have that level of compliment. And then within our personalities, I think we're also very complimentary, right? Because, you know, he tends to be, um, I would say, a, a harder negotiator will draw, you know, kind of more of a line on what makes sense. I tend to be more softer. So we can round out, like, making sure we're not giving up too much with making sure that we have the right level of touch in a given conversation, right? Um, so it actually works very well. It's a very kind of compatible partnership. Now, listen, that said, we also fight like dogs, as you can imagine. We, you know, we have definitely had calls with a lot of our team on where we'll get into it and everybody else goes quiet because they're like, oh shit, these two are really going at it right now. And it's, it's good because we're brothers, so we can do that. Right. And I think that's kind of the, the good and the bad of working with your brother, right. It's like, we're both stubborn. We both have views. So we'll, we'll be combative. We'll go head to head at the same time. We've been fighting for the last 35 years so we can fight and it's no big deal. And then we move on with our day. Right. And so, um, yeah, I would say it's been, it's been a pretty, 
special experience. You know, it's just the two of us. We don't have any other siblings. Um, you know, we lived together in college for a while. Obviously, he was older than me, but we both went to Michigan. He was in law school when I was an undergrad. We were both in New York together. And now we have this business together. So I don't know. In, in many ways, our lives are just uh, intertwined. Um, and it's exciting as we see the business scale to be able to say that we did that together. Um, and then, you know, our third partner is our childhood friend. And, you know, a lot of our early investors are all of our friends or people we've known from growing up in Buffalo or, you know, our parents are, are in it, right? And so it's just a, a, a very, it feels good the way this business has come together, um, you know, and, and that's something I think we, we really are pretty excited about. Yeah, man, that's a good uh, couple follow-on uh, questions. Who wins in an arm wrestle, you or your brother? In an arm wrestle, I'm fairly confident that I win. <laughs> and then uh, I think one of the things... I, I will say that outright. I'm <laughs> about saying that. Now, in, in a in a I probably lose more than I win. With regard to Joel, you know, being a childhood friend, how does he deal with, um, you know, when there is disagreement or, you know, tension? I mean, I would assume it's kind of a natural feeling because he's been around it for so long. But how does Joel deal with uh, you guys and, and the tension amongst you two or you three? Um, well, actually, it's, it's funny. So normally, you know, when it's tension between me and Encore, he's like, I'm going to let you guys work that out. So he will, he will not get in the middle of it. He kind of chuckles about it. Like, Oh, you know, the Rungta brothers are going at it. Like they'll sort it out. Right. So he, uh, I don't think it, I don't think it particularly stresses him out or concerns him so much as probably gives him some entertainment value. Um, and then of course, you know, yeah, sometimes there's, there's tension uh, between either of us and Joel or about the three of us or whatever it may be. And, and the same thing, we always work it out. Like we just, we have so much history that um, we've never really had anything that's bubbled up to the you know, level of like, we don't know how to solve this. Um, and, you know, it's definitely been a stressful, you know, almost five years now, right. We've, we've gone from zero people to having just over 400 employees. Now we have all these assets, like it's been a whirlwind and a roller coaster. So um, definitely he's been stressed along the way, but you know, we're always able to work it out. And, you know, Joel's, I think generally pretty easy going. Um, and so, you know, not a lot that we've really ever hit roadblocks on, but, but again, we also, we're really hard on ourselves. The three of us all hold very high standards uh, for each other and for ourselves. So like, you know, I think the balance to that is that we can always get through tense moments. We probably create a lot of the anxiety and stress just because of our standards. Um, but we also, you know, more and more try to, to be there for each other, to remind each other of all the wins of all the positive and like, you know, making sure that we're not just being hard on ourselves, if that makes sense. Oh, it totally makes sense. I think the other thing that's unique and that makes you guys such a good team is that your uh, even partners, you, uh, your brother and Joel. I talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So that was a, that was a, a decision that we had made early on. And, you know, obviously we all bring different things to the table here. And I think there's 
you know, different aspects of this uh, that that we're all like kind of good at in different ways. And frankly, like different things that are important at different times, right? So like there will be stretches where maybe my skill set is what is the most valuable in a moment or Joel's is or Encore's is. Um, but we're trying to have a long-term view here, right? Which is that like, we need all of this talent and we have all killed ourselves to get to this point. And so what really matters now is that like, there's a great outcome. We're trying to build the best company we can for ourselves, for our shareholders, for our customers, for our team. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that that matters. And I think when you see, you know, to your question earlier on other MSOs, I think a lot of other MSOs are, you know, again, they're kind of run by, by the business folk who don't really understand the product and the, you know, the, the cultivator or the product expert is kind of just a hired gun. And I think that shows in the quality of their product, right? So for us, if, if the whole point was first and foremost to be a product company, it makes sense to have a product person at the helm and, you know, in the partnership. And that's how we've kind of approached it. Yeah. 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 No, I think it's spot on from what I've seen. I get a lot of, we get a lot of calls from, you know, people that have, this has been for years now, people that have licenses that are on the business side and they're raising money and they're doing all that. And they want us to hire somebody to run their, basically design their, uh, you know, their, their grows and, uh, hire somebody from outside to do their cultivation. And they view them as like just an employee. I think you guys crushed it. I mean, you've got all three, you know, kind of, uh, you know, all three areas kind of covered with your three different talents. So I think that's uh, amazing. I'm going to poke the bear a little bit. How did you decide who was going to be CEO of the company? Yeah, no, no, it's a fair question. Um, well, so, you know, the funny thing is like, so one, like I said, I think, I think Joel is pretty easy going. So I, I, I do think that the role of the CEO is very business related. So, so candidly, I, I do think that he would have ceded that to either Encore or I, and I don't think he has a lot of ego in those things. And so that was a pretty straightforward kind of conversation. And then even between Encore and I, you know, some of this is frankly cultural. Like my brother is my older brother. I grew up looking up to him between the two of us. There's like a, there's a respect that just comes from age. You know, I mean, I think we are very much partners and equals and capability and how we treat treat each other and we talk about things almost all decisions are made really mutually amongst the three of us and particularly the business decisions are really both Encore and I um but you know as we thought about who should be the CEO like it just makes sense uh even in my mind that it would be him um and so to be honest it wasn't like a super like detailed or hashed out discussion so much as like that's what makes sense and everybody's good with it. Um, and, and we don't like these, you know, any funky structures with like co-CEOs and all that type of noise that just gets convoluted. Um, and so, you know, Encore is, is in charge of, you know, being the CEO and growing the business and building the vision. And, and Joel and I know where our places are in that as well. The three of us work really well together. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I'm, I'm, happy for you guys excited for what's uh what's to come i've got a kind of a bigger question to kind of throw at you do you feel like you found your purpose with what you're doing now i mean obviously you have the, your professional career from before and now you've kind of you you're using all that you're getting to work with your brother it's your company 
you've got a lot of your investors are close to you. I mean, do you feel like this is what you found your purpose with C3? 100%. I, I, uh, you know, it's funny, even as you were asking that to me, no one's necessarily ever asked me that exactly in that way. And as you were asking it immediately, I was like, it's, it's so interesting and rewarding to think that there's not a moment of hesitation in answering that, you know, I, uh, like I said, I, I, you know, in many ways, I kind of grew up in this game. So did my brother. So did Joel to have it go full circle to being our true professional career is unbelievable. I have, I have so many memories of, you know, uh, I have memories of my dad smashing my pipe in the garage or my weed getting flushed on the toilet or getting in trouble at school. And now those very same people are our biggest supporters and they, take their friends for tours in a facility and they rave about what we've built. And, you know, it's a, it's a fully fledged market now. And we have a team of 400 that, that make their livelihood from this business and this industry and our, you know, our company is probably even at this point, and we've gotten to decent amount of scale. Now we're probably two thirds owned by people from Buffalo who we've known for 30 years. I mean, that's incredible. The, the value, if we are successful in creating value, is going to accrue to the very people and community that we all came from. And that, to me, is like an incredible feeling, right? So there's the personal connection. There's the community connection. There's the product that we've known and loved. There's the meshing of our personal lives and our professional lives. You know, if that's not, you know, kind of, the, the what purpose is and you know I don't really know what it would be um, and so for us I just I think this is the culmination of a lot of things in our lives and what serendipitous that it all came together in this way yeah, yeah. No, I, I think it's awesome and it's also why I think you guys are poised and in awesome position I mean there's a lot of people that you know founded cannabis companies that have got it to a point where they they don't they they're they're kind of at their you know, they're at their limit in what they can operate. You guys are, you know, in stride, continue to push this thing. And, uh, you know, it seems like you're, you'll, you'll continue to push it, uh, the distance for as, as long as you want. I know I, I even talked to your brother a little bit about this, but he even said, Hey, you might even be excited about taking this company public, assuming a lot of things happen at one day, that might be an option. What do you talk? What do you say about that? Yeah. Um, you know, we talk about that a lot and, um, I would say like, you know, again, I think, I think a lot of folks got into this with like, uh, it's a gold rush kind of arbitrage mentality. And again, don't get me wrong. Right. Like I, I'd be lying if I said that we are, we are, we are business people. We think there's an opportunity. We, we have a job to our shareholders to create value. So like we pay attention to all that, but, but what we're really keen to do is build a lasting brand and presence and a strong company that's well known in this, you know, kind of brave new industry that's growing so quickly. So I think we're in it for a longer haul than a lot of other people are. And again, what does that mean? So hard to say this industry, you know, changes so quickly. So I could never properly pinpoint exactly what our moment is. But I think more and more we feel like we can compete we can scale our product quality is starting to really be recognized in the space our team and infrastructure is getting like really dialed in and we have a bunch of amazingly talented people and so if that's the case 
you know, let's keep going. And in a let's keep going world, at some point, the public market just makes sense because you're at a size where that's how you should access capital. And, and it will be rewarding to our shareholders if they choose to sell. So um, I do think the go public type pathway is probably increasingly on our radar. And we are, you know, we are looking to continue to scale ahead of that. We're certainly in no rush. There's no need. And I, I have no desire to go public for the sake of going public. It, you know, it should never be an exercise in your ego or anything like that. It should be because it makes sense. Um, but I do think that's a pathway that is potentially on our horizon and increasingly feeling like it could be one that makes sense. Um, but, you know, I would say that is completely secondary to continuing to build good operations, produce good product, developing the team and having a strong business. At the end of the day, I don't care if it's a private or a public business. I want a strong business. Yep. It, it's so exciting to think about one day. I know we've got a, a ways to go uh, with, a, with a lot of legislation, but to think about cannabis companies just as an option to even go public in the U.S. is such an exciting thought. And uh, we've got a long ways to go, but that would be amazing. Um, question for you, and this is you know, kind of pushing maybe you outside your comfort zone because you just told me that this is, you know, your life's purpose, you feel like. But if you were forced to sell C3, what would you spend your time doing if you were forced to sell C3? Uh, yeah, no, that's okay. I, 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 can, I can answer that. I, I think about it a lot because, you know, I think first and foremost, I would definitely take a few years uh, to spend some more time with my family. You know, this has been an all-consuming, all-encompassing uh, journey. And it will be for the foreseeable future, right? We are, this is not our full-time job. This is our double-time job. And it's our passion and it's our baby and it's our our, our livelihood and it's, you know, everything, right? So, um, you know, I have, a, I have a three-year-old son. I'm married. I got a second baby coming actually in a month here. So, I would love to spend some more time with them, spend some more time with my parents and everything else. And so I think that would be kind of first and foremost. And then, you know, from there, who knows? We've talked a lot about uh, would we do another business? Would we, you know, go into another space, try to build something new? You know, I don't know. I kind of feel like this is the business I wanted to build. Um, probably start to focus more on different ways to give back. Uh, you know, I've always, I've always enjoyed teaching people. I've always thought it'd be interesting to be a professor. You know, I kind of feel like if you had a successful outcome in the cannabis industry to be a, an entrepreneurship professor, who's also coming from the cannabis industry, that's brand new, could be a very interesting uh, cross section of education, right? Teaching people about what it's like to be in the cannabis industry, to be an entrepreneur in the cannabis industry. So I think that could be really interesting, but you know, I don't know exactly what I would do. We're a very young team and pretty ambitious team. So um, it's hard to say, I, I, I know this, I certainly wouldn't be done. There would be something more that I would want to continue doing. We are, we are not wired to be, you know, uh, early retired and kind of sitting around type of thing. Uh, but I would definitely want to take a break for some personal time and then, you know, figure out new ways to continue learning and being invigorated and stimulated. 
Awesome. Hey, question for you. Uh, and this is probably selfishly for me. How do you, when you go home, because I know how you guys are wired. I'm, I think I'm wired similarly from a business standpoint. Like when I'm, I'm enjoying it, we're crushing it, we're making progress. Like I, it's on my mind. I'm enjoying it. it. It feeds my energy. But when you get home and you're, how do you turn it off with your wife or do you have to, or she, she, does she enjoy the conversation of all the stuff you're overcoming and all the stuff you're building? Like, how do you, how do you kind of balance it out when you get home and either turn it off or, or do you not turn it off? Yeah, well, you know, unfortunately, the honest answer is that's an area of development for me. Um, you know, I, I promised my wife in our vows, and she's my high school sweetheart who I've been with for about 20 years now, that that I would be present. Uh, and I don't think that I'm always accomplishing that. So I, I you know, to, to your last question, I, I would say I think I, I owe her some more being present. And in general, regardless of whether we sell C3 or not, that is something I'm working on. I definitely have a hard time turning off. Um, my wife does find all of this interesting. So she is always open to talking and discussing, et cetera. But I, uh, I do think I also need to, I am striving to continue to find balance. Um, and as we grow and we build more senior team as well, that's really helped um, having more decision makers and leaders in the organization that can help you know, kind of narrow our scope a little bit and take things off of our plate. And so um, I'm really grateful for that and looking forward to that continuing. And then, you know, hand in hand with that is is training myself to turn off and, and forcing myself, which I am getting better at. Um, and so really trying to structure my day a little bit more so that I can kind of mentally give myself permission to turn off for a window that I know is meant to be for me and my family. Um, and so, yeah, that's a probably long-winded answer, but the honest truth is I'm not great at turning off and it's something I'm trying to get better at. No, man, I appreciate your honesty. I think that's how most people are that probably are taking the time to even listen to this because they're wanting to learn, be better. Um, it's a, uh, it's a challenge for everybody. And I think we're all trying to get better at it. I heard one time, I don't know where I heard this, but it was like a wife talking about their husband and he was a, the CEO of a company. I don't even remember the context necessarily, but I remember what she said. She said, listen, my husband, and I, I've learned that your parents raised you and your brother this way, you're hundred percent men, meaning you put hundred percent effort into everything. And that's why you're good at it. And I, there's this wife one time that was talking about her husband. She said, listen, I'd rather have 10% of a hundred percent man than a hundred percent of a 10% man. So uh, maybe you save that and you use that in some conversation, your wife at some point. Cause I think, uh, from what I've learned in these conversations with you and your brother is I really genuinely feel like your parents raised what we, what we're referring to as hundred percent men. I love that Max. I've, I've never heard that before, but, uh, I'm hopeful that my wife will listen to the podcast and, uh, and find that nugget, you know, at this point in it and, and hopefully appreciate it. Uh, because yes, I, we don't do anything half-hearted. And so sometimes that goes overboard and, and we need to learn more balance, but at least uh, she can always count on the fact that, yeah, it won't be anything less than a hundred percent. So no, I, I, I actually appreciate you sharing with that, that with me, because that will be a helpful, helpful nugget just for my own thinking and processing and development as well. Awesome. Hey, think you talked a lot about, and I got into this a little bit with your brother, but, uh, and I want to hear it from you. 
how do you, how do you, um, your prior experience becoming uh, uh, to C3, obviously investment banking, I think you did a little private equity and corporate finance, and then you work for the Google business, you know, ops strategy team, if I remember right. How did that prepare you for what you're dealing with now? Yeah, no, um, it's a great question. I mean, it was incredible training. I, it's funny, I, I uh, and maybe this is just as you get older and you get wiser, you appreciate your experiences more. But I mean, man, when I was an investment banker, I worked at a firm called Bolus and Company, um, very well-respected firm on Wall Street. And I got annihilated. I mean, we worked our asses off. Um, and at the time, like, I'd be lying if I said I loved every minute of it. Like, it was pretty brutal. And as I look back, you could ever ask for this was 22 years old. And I was, you know, in board meetings with Fortune 500 companies listening to, you know, really, really tenured, experienced, talented senior execs talking about business. I mean, that type of absorption, very few people get the benefit or the opportunity to be in those rooms. Um, and also it taught me, you know, what it means to be a hundred percent man, right? Like it, it taught me what it means to work hard, to give it your all, to really want to strive to be the best. Um, and so it was incredible. And just from a hard skill set standpoint, you know, our business has raised almost $100 million now to date. That has been all done exclusively, really, by myself and my brother. Um, you know, it's been our relationships, us figuring out how to structure it. We've never hired a bank to do that for us. We've never used an advisor on the capital raises. And the only way we have any clue what we're doing is because we were trained in it. Um, and that's hugely valuable, knowing how to navigate those discussions, knowing how to... Um, uh, articulate your plan to investors, structure it in a way that is fair and aligned. I mean, these are these are not things to be taken for granted, right? And then, you know, at Google, I learned so much about strategy and operations. So I was in a group there called, literally called business operations and strategy. And it was, you know, this 40 person team that was all internal consultants. That was their kind of past life, right? Um, and what we did is we got put on really high priority projects that were either strategic in nature or operational in nature. And so, you know, I, uh, our team worked on developing the business plan for driverless cars, right, which was like such an interesting way to think about strategy in a new market. And then we also worked on the reorganization of Google's, you know, 10,000, 20,000 plus person sales team. So that was like, nitty gritty operations, you know, how does reporting matter? How do you incentivize people? You know, how do you think about compensation programs to drive business, right? That was all purely ops. How do you improve coordination, communication, information flow? So for me, it just, you know, between the two of those experiences, banking and private equity, and then, you know, the strategy and operation side, I learned a lot about capital structuring business plans, how to grow a business, how to think about uh, being a, a good financial steward and making sure that your your numbers make sense, you're planning accordingly, you're not missing anything. Um, and then on the operations and strategy side, I learned a lot about just like, what does it mean to scale? How do you do it? How do you try to keep people marching in the same direction, which to be clear is something I'm still learning and still improving on. I'm, I'm certainly not um, 
everything I want to be yet as a leader of a, a company, um, but it gave us incredible foundation. Um, so yeah, it was invaluable experience. Yeah. Speaking of uh, experience, and this is one of the things now that I'm remembering that got me on the path of like, I want to interview your brother too. I want to get him on the podcast as well. When I had uh, Encore on here was he was started talking about, we, we were talking about what you guys had done together before and things you've been involved in. And he talked about the film production company. And when we got, got to it, he kind of like giggled because he, what I, what I sensed when I asked a question, it was like a whole nother conversation that could go on. And he said, make sure you talk to my brother about that if you have him on the podcast. And that's ultimately where I was like, you know what? Let's get him on the podcast. I'd love to see his perspective. And I want to learn more about this film production company because it sounds like there was a pretty decent sized uh, film production company. And I joked around with your brother that you guys have such a great thing going and you're so interesting. And then your side gig is a film production company. But tell us how you got into the film production company and uh, tell us about it. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, and by the way, it's funny, you know, you ask about purpose in life and, and the kid in me is just like, yeah, we're in weed and movies. How could it be better? You know, I mean, that's what we do. Right. So, uh, yeah, no. So we have a film production company. It's called Nickel City Pictures. Um, Encore and I are co-founders of that, along with two of our partners in L.A. who uh, operate the business and they run it and oversee it day to day. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we started kind of looking at that business. I want to say back in about 2012 and we got introduced to a few folks in the film industry. And at that point we were looking at it really, you know, from the standpoint of our finance hats, right. There were some interesting investment opportunities and, and, and rightfully people talk about how risky it is to invest in film. There's a lot of nuances to it, but there's also a very structured side to film that's quite intriguing. And so it kind of piqued our curiosity. We did a few deals purely, again, with an investment mindset. So we were just doing, we, we didn't care about the content. We weren't in it as, you know, kind of uh, 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 aspirational filmmakers looking for the best written script. We just wanted to see if the deals made sense. And we did five or six or seven movies in that way and actually had some nice returns. We had some folks we raised capital from. They had some nice returns. And we said, hey, you know, this is pretty interesting. And along the way, we've gotten more and more into the creative. So we started, you know, moving into understanding the scripts and the talent and the directors and the writers and how the agencies work and, and kind of said, hey, let's launch a full-fledged production company. Let's actually develop content ourselves. Let's Let's you know, put together a team and let's go for it. We can bring our finance experience because we're seeing that finance matters in the film industry as well and how you structure these things really matters. And you know, we're getting more intrigued by the creation. And so that became kind of the birth of our company, which is called Nickel City Pictures, which is also another reference to Buffalo. So you know, Buffalo is one of the, the names or nicknames of Buffalo is the Nickel City. Um, and so we, we named our company Nickel City Pictures, and that's because, you know, the nickel used to have the buffalo on it, the buffalo nickel. And so, um, so that's, that's the film company. That company is still actively involved, uh, actually um, made four movies uh, in 2021. And so we have a, a movie that just released on Hulu that's called Sex Appeal. Um, that was a, a movie that our company produced. We have 
three other movies that are in post-production right now. We have a whole slate of films that we are still working on. And, and I am still somewhat involved, but definitely not day to day, but I, I chat regularly with our partners um, and they really, like I said, are, are running it and overseeing it and, and doing a stupendous job. And, and for Encore and I, we're kind of more now involved on the, the strategic level as obviously our day to day is, is kind of completely consumed by C3. Got it, man. That's such a, uh, so interesting. You've been such an amazing guest. There's so you've opened this up. There's so much to talk about. I'm trying to pick like what lane to choose. Cause I know we don't have uh, that much more time left, but uh, going back to just cannabis, I, this has been on my mind the entire time. I just don't, didn't want to be rude and ask some random question in the middle of uh, a really good talk track that, that was enjoyable. But when you guys, you, you know, you guys obviously pride yourself on uh, products can you talk about what are you learning about products, you know, today? Um, like, like, uh, is there like our beverages, like how are, are beverages increasing in, in popularity? Like what are the, the trends you guys are seeing on the product side as you guys, um, you know, start to launch new products and open more dispensaries, uh, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So a few things I would say, so one, just starting with flour, we are, our view was always that flour would remain a dominant category um, in the space. And, and at least thus far it has. So we take, we take a lot of comfort in that and we continue to believe that there will be a big population of folks that want to smoke flour. And so obviously that's a big part of our business and will continue to be so. So that's one trend. A lot of people thought that flour would pretty quickly decline in all of the edibles and kind of concentrated in carts categories would, would really kind of overtake it, which hasn't happened. Um, we are seeing upticks in those markets as well, which is great. We're also just seeing overall, the whole industry is growing so much. Um, I think that edibles are a big area of focus for us. So we have never produced edibles to date. We've primarily only focused on flour. And again, when I say flour, I mean, you know, flour, pre-rolls, like kind of the various forms of flour. And then we also, do concentrates and cartridges, right? Those are kind of our three current offerings. We recently announced that we have signed a deal with Kiva, uh, which is a very well-known uh, edibles brand um, in the space. And we'll be launching with them in Missouri. So we're really excited to be going into edibles. We think edibles uh, will you know, have increasingly positive trends, particularly in the gummies category where kind of gummies and hard candy are really you know, kind of showing their muscle as some of the leading subcategories in the edible space. So that's really interesting to us. We're really excited to get into that business. Um, and then like you mentioned, I think beverages is another area that uh, we are exploring now and, and kind of trying to figure out the right way in, you know, we're always reticent to do too many things at once. So we're trying to spread ourselves too thin, but we also, you know, we really fancy ourselves as as a product company, kind of first and foremost. I mean, and don't get me wrong, our retail business is a huge engine of growth, a massive part of the business. Um, but, you know, first and foremost, we always were on the product side, at least as consumers ourselves. Um, and so beverages is an area that we think that category will expand quickly. And so we're focused on that. You know, I think the interesting areas for beverages and edibles will be also if there's ever full spectrum offering. So like in edibles, you're starting to see some full spectrum offerings. So it's not just distillate based edibles, but actually, 
you know, extract-based edible, edibles, meaning it actually has all the other cannabinoids, uh, the CBGs and the CBNs, the CBDs. It has all the terpene profile. That's really where where we prefer to spend most of our time is on the kind of full spectrum side. So we think full spectrum edibles, maybe one day full spectrum beverages could be very interesting. It's a much different experience than a distillate or THC only infused product. Um, I think the other area we're paying attention to, but we aren't really pursuing much of yet is the, is the solventless side of uh, manufactured products that, that is a trend that certainly feels like it has some legs. And as you think about, you know, consumer preferences towards, you know, very clean products, clean living, understanding what's going into their product. I think that solventless will probably have momentum. Um, you know, the, the challenge is that solventless is fairly inefficient right now. So we're, we're looking at different ways to see if there's efficient ways to do solventless. So you can marry, you know, a reasonable cost for consumers with that, cleaner high quality kind of product so uh, you know those are areas that that we're kind of paying attention to right now got it yeah no that's uh that's awesome i appreciate you sharing that because uh, i know how much pride you guys take in uh on the product side and and assume that you had some thoughts on it um you know kind of i'm going to start I'll, I'll probably... I one of, I, I, I... go ahead Sorry, Max. I had one other one I forgot, which is that one trend we're hoping will reverse uh, is we're hoping as more consumers become more educated, the focus on THC potency will start to decline because, you know, that's never the way when we were all growing up, right? You weren't even testing product. You didn't know if the flour you smoked was 18% or 23%. And that was never the distinction. Like when you said something was fire or it was just, you know, like the best you had, it wasn't because you thought about the THC. It was the high and the experience, which as, as we, as many of us know, is not just based on the THC, right? So it's been interesting to see that trend develop in these, you know, regulated markets as, as I think consumers kind of focus on what's on the label. But I think over time, I hope that that will actually decline and they'll focus much more on the true attributes of quality. So taste, smell, moisture, how it smokes, how it hits, the experience of the high, uh, how it makes you feel, et cetera, as opposed to the current kind of fixation in a lot of markets on THC percentage. God, man, that's such a good point. I got to admit, I'm still guilty sometimes when I walk in a dispensary, obviously we do a lot of business in cannabis at the you know very senior level, but I go and I love, especially when it's in a different market, just to see what, what it's like. And I'm guilty of going to like pre-rolls, like show me your strongest pre-rolls. And then I kind of start from there and I don't know why, but uh, because I feel the same way you do. I think there's, there's so much involved. In fact, I'm actually growing three of my own plants just because I've seen it at scale. And then in my mind, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to just grow three plants just to grow three plants. So you're right. There's so much more there and terpene profile. And there's so much more than just percentages and, um, you know, an indica versus sativa. There's just so much in between and, and, uh, you know, beyond that. So that's, that's a good thing to point out. Um, you know, this, this conversation has been amazing. So I'm going to start like not necessarily wrapping it up right this second, but I want to start bringing it closer to a close, man, I could talk to you forever. You're similar to your brother. Um, 
you know, if I could do this over again, I probably just had you both on at the same time and, and, uh, you know, went on a little, a little extra and had got, got both of your points on some stuff, but this has been awesome separate too. But what would you, when you think back at everything you guys have been able to achieve, what do you think has been your biggest achievement, uh, at C3 so far? Man, um, biggest achievement. That's a good question. Um, Man, it's so hard to answer that. I just feel like it's so many of the, it's it's each little win that comes together, right? The idea that we're in multiple markets now, we have multiple facilities that we've successfully built and got off the ground. We have multiple stores that we have, like that is just each one of those together, kind of the culmination is just like, you know, people don't realize the, I mean, or some people do in the industry, but many don't realize the amount of work and effort that goes into that. Um, you know, I think on the product quality side, and I'm sorry, I'm going to give you a, a kind of laundry list answer. I don't have a single one, but I will oh, try good. to end with at least one, but you know, on the product side, having won awards and, you know, we're, we're only currently selling in Oregon and Michigan. We are just now launching in Missouri and mass. So literally sales start in Missouri tomorrow and sales start in Massachusetts in about a month. Um, and then in Oregon and Michigan, where we have been selling, we've won awards in both states. And that is a tremendous recognition to the team and all of their hard work to be doing that in two separate facilities in two different states with different regulations, with, you know, different teams, but at the same consistency, like the same level, that is a, a huge testament uh, to the team, I think. Um, but, you know, I think overall, that's that's probably to me you know, the biggest accomplishment is that, you know, we've gotten 400 people to sign up for this crazy dream with us and to, to march in the same direction and to build this company and to show up every day and work hard and to, you know, grind and deal with all of the hoops and, and, and rigmarole that it is to be in the cannabis industry today, right? I and mean, it's not an easy business. And so I think that's probably the single greatest accomplishment is that, you know, we've built an organization, I think, that is rapidly getting to the point where it truly could survive beyond us, right? And that's, you know, that's what you want, right? When you're building a company, it's something that can truly stand on its own two feet. Like the, the company is supposed to be greater than, than any one of us, right? And the only way that's possible is if you build team. Um, and so I think that that's got to be the biggest accomplishment. And it's something that at least... You know, I know I take great pride in it and Encore and Joel do too. I mean, like I said, we started with the three of us, a vacant building in Oregon with an unpaved lot that looked like nobody had been there for 20 years. And now we have all of these, you know, gorgeous assets with people showing up every day and, you know, wearing the apparel and touting the brands and excited about what's coming next. And that's, that's a, you know, that's a feeling that um, you only get a, you know, a few times in life, I think. And uh, we're really grateful to have that here. Man, it's so awesome. Uh, congratulations so far. You know, I think when I, when I asked you and your brother the same question, it's hard to answer because you guys are so humble and you, there's so much more to achieve that you can't, you don't really want to like plant yourself on one thing because you're so grateful for all of it. But uh, such awesome stuff and so happy for you guys and so excited. Uh, for, for where you're headed talking more like on the, 
kind of personal side per se, this is all personal, I guess, but um, what are some like personal habits or daily rituals or routines that you have that have helped you continue to be sharp? I mean, clearly through this conversation, we've got somebody that is clear, concise and compelling, but what keeps you that way day to day? What do you do uh, in your personal life and, and to stay to stay sharp? Yeah, good, good question. I would say a few different things. One, um, although I can't do as good of a job as I used to just because there's not enough time in the day, um, I stay very close to my network and that has always been very valuable. You know, I, I have a lot of in smart people that I've worked with, smart friends that have different experiences. And so I try to like make sure I'm getting input from others, bouncing ideas off, going to people if we're, you know, hiring or building a team that, that I've never done before. And I have no clue. And what should we be looking for? And so, you know, I think, um, you know, kind of not getting too caught in your own echo chamber, which is, which is hard, uh, has been really helpful in keeping us sharp and knowing what's going on in the market and making sure that we aren't just seeing what's right in front of our face. So that's, that's one. Um, Two, I would say I'm, I'm, I'm highly organized and, and really, frankly, what that means, I am OCD for sure. Um, but the specific thing that I would say that I personally find very helpful is that I use my, I get a lot of emails. We have a, a very high volume of emails in our organization. There's a lot of activity going on. And I use my inbox as a running to-do list. So if I have responded to something and it's no longer ball in my court, it immediately gets folded and I'm doing that real time all day. So at any given moment, if you look at my email inbox, there's probably no more than a dozen emails in them and in it. And all of them are things that I owe a response or a review, or there's a work stream that I need to get to. And it really helps me, you know, one prioritize and two stay on top of like the fairly vast scope of things that encompass my day. Um, and so, and I actually, again, I'm OCD, so not everyone's going to go to this extreme, but I do that with my text messages too. So if you look at my text messages, I only have six or seven because I delete them as I go because I don't want to have hundreds of messages that I'm wondering what I missed. Um, and so I just find that that level of organization really helps me stay efficient and really helps me make sure that stuff's not falling through the cracks on my end. Um, so those, those have been a couple of things. And then you know, the last thing I would say is probably an obvious one, but like I read all the time um, and I know a lot of people in our organization do as well. And so that really helps you stay sharp, know what's going on in the world, know what's going on in the industry. And I'm talking about industry content as well as non-industry content, um, staying up on current events, staying up on sentiment, understanding what's going on that's impacting your team and your employees and what's happening in Missouri that's different than Massachusetts and what does that mean for our business? What are our competitors doing? What is the broader market chattering about? Um, just staying informed and not just information for information's sake, but also because it does make your brain work and it does keep you sharp and it does teach you things as you go and insights can come from it. Yeah. Hey, I want to I want to dig into one thing that you said a little bit. This is, again, I think it'll be great for the audience. And I had this conversation with one of my close friends who runs a company with 500 people at dinner this past Friday. And he was like, it, it was really a, a 
it was a really aha moment for him. But I've kind of come to this point in my life, and keep in mind, I'm, I'm about 10 years older than you, that I have amazing friends. And I'm so fortunate to have a lot of friends. But I'm kind of at this point in life where I also have a bunch of kids and I'm married and I got a lot of stuff going on. I live in two different places, one in the summer, one in the winter. And I have had to make, I'm not as OCD, like I've got a lot of stuff that I keep in my inbox and somehow I make sense of it. But how do you determine, how do you keep in touch with all, with your network? Have you had to make the hard choice of, uh, of not necessarily cutting people out, but determining like, these are the people that I'm going to make time for always and then the rest, I kind of just have to let go to a certain degree, or how do you sort out? Because if you're OCD, and then you also value your network, like how have you determined who to keep in touch with? Because I know what how busy you are, so I know you've had to make that determination. How have you how have you done that? Yeah, no, good question. I don't have a perfect answer on that, but um, but yes, I think there's been a natural, you know, kind of. Uh, narrowing or whatever reduction in kind of the overall circle in ways now you know the 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 important thing for me there though is that there are folks that i that are in my network that i don't keep up with as often anymore um but they're always near and dear to my heart you know and i still view them as close friends and and i struggle with that because i i'm a people person i i wish i could call all of my friends every week, but it's just not feasible. And I do need to prioritize my family as well, like you mentioned. So I do think there's some natural kind of, you know, narrowing that happens and, and trying to trying to kind of, you know, not pick and choose, but just kind of naturally evolve to the folks that you need more regular input from and that you just want to be chatting with more regularly. Um, you know, I think the big thing for me, though, is that I try to make sure that at least every so often I sprinkle in even the folks that I don't get to as often, just so that the connection is maintained. And even if it's just a text message or a note or whatever, just letting people know that you're thinking of them, letting them know they're still on your radar, letting them know that, you know, it's been too long since you've caught up. And and most people get it. You know, they're busy, too. Everybody's lives evolve as they as we all grow up and, and have other responsibilities and um, but I never want to lose those bonds um, and that and that network. Um, and I think the beauty is that when you do that, if there is that aha moment of like, wait a minute, this is something I should talk to that individual on, that door is always open and the, the wheel is kind of greased, you know, if you will. Um, but yeah, I, I do think there's some kind of selectivity that has naturally occurred. And, and, and frankly, again, I don't love that. I view that as unfortunate, but it's just the reality of the fact that you know, time is constrained. Um, but I do try to at least ping where I can. And then, you know, in terms of how I would, I'd be lying if I said there was some like selection process I went through. In fact, that'd make me feel terrible and far too calculating. Uh, but it was just more of a natural evolution of, of how the relationships evolved. And then I think the big thing for me now, though, which which, again, part of my personality doesn't like. And so I, I'm reluctant to even say it out loud, but I will, which is I'm also probably at a point now where I'm not really as focused on taking on new friends. Um, you know, and again, doesn't mean I don't like meeting people. I always love meeting people. I'm always building my network. I'm a relationship person. But like my core group is kind of my core group now. And I'm I want to be focused on prioritizing the people that I really care about in my life, as opposed to, um, you know, when I was younger, I, I always did want to meet new people and pick up new friends and have an ever expanding network. Right. So, so a bit of a priority shift there, but again, I would, 
I would hate for that to come across as like the door is closed because that's never how I want to be, um, nor how I am. Um, but I do prioritize now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing that pops into my head, we're on the same page and this is so enlightening to hear this. Cause I think a lot of people I know in my, uh, network that I have good relationships with a lot of them are entrepreneurs and they're dealing with the same stuff. So they understand exactly what you're talking about. And this is going to be super helpful for them. But I always point out to my friends that a real friend will never give you a hard time about not keeping in touch with them often enough. So for me, that's one of the things that I disqualify where I'm like, I don't like it. It turns me off completely. Even if it's somebody that I've been relatively close with growing up, which none of my close friends do this. But if the first thing your friend does when you reach out to them or somebody in your network is give you a hard time of why you haven't reached out sooner, for me, that's like a, you're out. Like you're, you you don't get it because real friends don't do that. So that's just something I, uh, when I think about that, I do. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah the, other no. thing- the only challenge for me on that, I will say, just to, just to react to that for one second, Max, yeah. is that yeah. if you have a friend from Buffalo, you mentioned, if you ever meet more of their friends, you'll find that all we do is talk shit in Buffalo. So all my friends will give me a hard time, no matter what, that's like how we interact. And so uh, I can't use that rule of thumb necessarily because it's in our nature to give each other a hard time, but I completely appreciate what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Hey, what do you, uh, do you do anything like for yourself? Like, do you work out, you play tennis, anything like that? I think your brother plays tennis, anything that you do to like physically that kind of helps you stay sharp mentally and physically. Yeah, definitely. I mean, exercise for sure. And I'm trying to, again, routine structure, trying to make sure I'm good about that. I got the Peloton at home. I got uh, a trainer that I like to work out with. Um, I do play basketball and tennis. I am terrible about being consistent. So it's, it comes in waves, uh, but I enjoy those and they're a nice, you know, kind of escape and release. And then, you know, the other big thing for me is I'm a foodie. And the, 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 the beautiful thing for me, at least, is that a lot of my shareholders are my friends. Like, like they were friends first. A lot of the, the people in our company, I mean, I have, I have four, five, or six close friends from high school age who now work at C3, right? So, like, it's nice because a lot of times I'm going to a dinner and yes, it's in theory, a business meeting, but it's also with one of my buddies. Um, and so, you know, I, I really enjoy food. That's another escape for me. And oftentimes that food is with a friend who also is in some way affiliated with the company. And so it just kind of like all my worlds collide fairly regularly. Yeah. 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 What, what, um, speaking of hiring and hiring your friends, what, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this because we're in the hiring space and the senior level, but what big learning lessons have you learned as it relates to hiring uh, talent, you know, a players or talented people for your organization? Um, I mean, one, I think it's, it's, it's very challenging. That's definitely something I've come to appreciate, right? Like I, I've always, you know, I fancied myself a good interviewer. I'm sure I'm decent. I'm not the best. It's really hard to interview for, fit and culture and personality and those things are you know probably as important if not more important sometimes on the technical skill set um and so i think that's another important learning for me is that like technical matters the functional capability matters but like the personality the drive the 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 shared values the willing to like 
run hard the way we want to run hard is just so, so important. I think you have a much better chance being successful in our organization if you have the work ethic, but you don't have all the skills. And if you have all the skills, but you don't have the work ethic. Uh, that's definitely how we're wired, right? So that's been really good to kind of get a sense for. And then, you know, I think the last thing I would say is like, because of all those challenges, within reason, getting more input rather than less, right? So when we hire senior people now, like we have a lot of people on the team interview them. And that's important because, you know, you just, you don't know really. And the best way to feel it out is to have multiple kind of bites at the apple. And so I think having a lot of people sit down with a potential candidate really helps uh, again, within reason. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. Well, all right, man, I'm going to start wrapping this up, but I'm going to finish with just more some rapid fire questions. So uh, just first thing that comes to mind. And then, you know, this has been, like I said, amazing conversation. I thought your brother was great. Uh, we'll see if he listens to this uh, and he listens to me say this, but I don't know, man, I can't decide who was better. And, and he got to talk about, I asked, you know, more business questions that were like getting to know the business. And I asked a little bit more deeper questions with you. Both have been amazing experiences, but I'm going to start asking some of these rapid fire questions and then we'll wrap up shortly after that. I know I've taken you over the time that I had you scheduled for, which I appreciate. Uh, but starting with the first rapid fire question, what's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? First thing I do when I wake up in the morning, unfortunately, is check my email. <laughs> what's your favorite app on your phone right now? There's no new apps. I, I don't follow the app universe well enough. Uh, so I, unfortunately, I'm the wrong person. I can tell you my least favorite app, and that's once again, my email. <laughs> <laughs> what's, uh, what's your favorite book or the book that you've read more than once? Oh, man. Shoot. I mean, I've, I, I grew up, and so did my brother, I think, reading a lot of sci-fi and fantasy. So I've, I've read The Lord of the Rings more than once. I've read Game of Thrones more than once. I've read all the Harry Potter series more than once. I love all of those books. Nice. Nice. If uh, you had to give a 10-minute presentation on a topic on the fly, what would it be? <laughs> uh, how to build a cannabis company. <laughs> Which person has had the greatest impact on your life? Either my brother or my wife. What's something you're waiting to check off your bucket list? I'd like to do Machu Picchu. Nice. And then that, that's it, man. I, I, I've had you over. This has been such an amazing conversation. Um, thank you for sharing everything. Like you guys, I'm so impressed with you and your brother and your business and your team. And, uh, just your sentiment on how proud you are of what you guys have accomplished together and, and what your team's accomplished. I'm super excited to see uh, what's ahead for you guys. And uh, so I'm going to, uh, I'll start wrapping it up. You guys have been listening to the built on purpose podcast with Max Hansen brought to you by Y Scouts. You can find all of our past and future podcasts at yscouts.com. If you want to reach out and get a hold of uh, C3, C3industries.com is there, is there a web page anywhere else that they can get a hold of you uh, on any other social media? Yeah, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. So Vishal Rungta, uh, obviously at C3 Industries. So, uh, you know, feel free to find me on LinkedIn. We also have uh, Instagram for our two brands, Cloud Cover Cannabis and uh, High Profile Official. So both of those are also uh, ways. Um, 
And then, uh, you know, yeah, just generally through the, the website, of course, any forums will come over to us and people reach out. Awesome, man. Thanks again for your time. And uh, you're an amazing guest. Thank you, Max. And I want to say I really enjoyed the conversation. You, uh, you made me think about some things in a way that I haven't thought about before. So I, I appreciate all the discussion and uh, really enjoyed the conversation. I hope everybody else does too. Awesome. Me too. I'm sure they will. And uh, thanks again for all the time. I'll catch up with you soon. Okay, cool. Take care, Max. I take care. Thanks for listening to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. You can hear any of our previous shows 24-7 wherever you get your podcasts.